The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano from Star Wars, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we look at the deeper themes and meanings found in the stories and characters in the Star Wars universe, whether they're in that galaxy far, far away, or maybe in another galaxy even farther, farther away. That's right, we're talking about (laughs) part four of the Ahsoka series, Fallen Jedi. Joining me on the podcast today are John Coral. Welcome, John. Hello. And Catherine Laffrey. Good to have you, look, Catherine. Good to be here. And Thomas Salerno. Welcome back, Thomas. Hey, great to be here, everybody. So here we are. We're at the halfway point of the series, and it's brought our heroes and villains into direct confrontation. We see Balin and Shin directly fighting Ahsoka and Sabine in some really fantastic lightsaber battles. We see Hera decide that if the New Republic won't help, at least she and Phoenix Squadron will. And we see Morgan Elspeth get everything she wanted and take off for Peridia, maybe? It's an episode that divides our heroes and leaves us with a major cliffhanger, Sabine captured, and Ahsoka in the world between worlds with Anakin. There is so much to talk about, but I think we should start where the show starts, with Ahsoka and Sabine. I I, I really loved how... The tension between them uh, just drives the entire episode that that um, tension over uh, whether they are there to stop Thrawn or there to find Ezra. Um, Catherine, what do you what do you think about uh, their relationship and the dynamic throughout the show? It's been interesting because I'm always trying to tell myself, when is this happening? What have they been through? And thank goodness in this show, we got a little more insight into why Sabine had locked herself in a room all these years and was upset, you know, up in a tower. But just the whole dynamic and what are they doing? Because if Ahsoka's goal is to keep Thrawn from coming back, she would have just destroyed the map. But she didn't. So she's also trying to bring back Ezra. But she doesn't want Sabine and Ezra to have a relationship because, oh no, that'd be Anakin and Padme all over again. But oh, why didn't she see on? Hera? Why didn't she see Hera and Kanan's relationship as a good thing? I don't know. There you go. My mind is just running in circles. <laughs> that That is really interesting. I had not thought of Ahsoka trying to keep Ezra and Sabine apart. Um, I kind of read it as it would be a good thing to to find Ezra and bring him back. But 
if it comes in conflict with with bringing back Thrawn, that's where that's where the divide happens. Um, what 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 do you guys think, Thomas? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. I also hadn't thought of why didn't she destroy the map earlier? I think I think there's more at play here than we're than we're being told, you know. And I think Ahsoka may have her own motives that she is not expressed or communicated to the other characters and and yeah and now 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 i'm just wondering about this and i can't and so i mean i thought i thought i understood these character dynamics and now i'm thinking even <laughs> more about it and yeah I, I wonder if i wonder if there's a reason that ahsoka needs to find thrawn somehow or wants to travel to the other galaxy for some reason or maybe even to eliminate Thrawn so there's never a possibility of him showing up ever again I definitely think Ahsoka is hiding something and and Sabine she doesn't talk about everything she may not be hiding it but she's she's not saying everything that's going on in her mind Um, Mm -hmm. what do you think John yeah I didn't I hadn't thought of it the way that Catherine expressed it Um, because I thought you know it was just simply you know, Ezra's out. If Ezra is still out there, then let's bring him home. And that was, I mean, the initial idea. But then with the way, you know, the way the whole discussion came upon us about the, um, when she was explaining, you know, could you, though, you know, destroy that map? Um, when she asked Sabine that, you know, to not bring Ezra home and to keep Thrawn away, you know, uh, that was, you know, because she said sometimes we have to do what is right regardless of our personal feelings. And then Sabine said, do you believe that? And she says, when the stakes are this high, I have to. And so it seemed to me, I I mean, I don't know why you'd want to go search out Theron. I mean, like, unless you know, unless you want to confirm he's gone. Because to me, if you're going out there, you know, if he's still around, you're going to have issues. And so my thought would be the idea was more to bring Ezra home and then, um, you know, just, and then keep either keep throwing exiled or, you know, or eliminate him completely. But, you know, but apparently, you know, <laughs> apparently, uh, you know, it sounds like that Ahsoka would have destroyed the ball or the map. And but uh, it, the way she's thinking about it and sacrifice Ezra she had to is my thought but yeah I'm I the more I'm thinking about it the more I think yeah there's definitely a part of Ahsoka that wants to bring Ezra back um I think everybody has a tie to Ezra um and I hope that this episode like for those who are not familiar with Rebels and and I I hope that this episode gives more of a sense of the the kind of the bonds that that our characters have with Ezra um but yeah uh, John you brought up that bit of dialogue um that that sometimes we have to do what's right regardless of our personal feelings and I I thought Sabine's response was really fascinating do you believe that right <laughs> um because we have seen Ahsoka let her personal feelings get in the way of what doing what she thinks is right. And Sabine has probably seen that um, as well. 
And so, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting reply. And, and Ahsoka saying, well, when the stakes are this high, I have to. I mean, I mean, is is this kind of Ahsoka's version of from a certain point of view, kind of kind of relativizing the morality of, you know, well, when the stakes are really high, you got to hold to the standard when the stakes are not so high. Eh, it's OK. Um, or or is she just saying. I've re- come to realize that this is how I have to have to do it. I don't know, because I was wondering, it's like there seem to be multiple instances of a certain point of view that gets brought up throughout this episode, um, you know, whether it's, you know, later with Hera and stuff, or whoever, you know, it's like, and then I also wonder with later on with what Balin says at some things, if, you know, and we'll, I can talk about that later, but it was, I, I can think of like two or three, you know, multiple instances of a certain point of view even in this episode alone. And, um, yeah, I, I wonder about that too, because, you know, being, even though she says she's not a Jedi, you know, there's always that, you know, <laughs> you know, the certain truth of, you know, well, Darth Vader, you know, killed your father. Well, he did in a way, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> those kind of things. And in one sense it is true, but you know, the person who he was and stuff. And then you just wonder, you know, what, because of how secretive Ahsoka is and a lot, a lot of the stuff are what we haven't found out yet. You know, it's hard to know if she's really saying it uh, to be cl- <laughs> in that regard or if she really, really means it now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka definitely seems more contemplative with everything. And that opening bit between the two of them felt like an older sister to a younger sister. Is your relationship in right order? You know, you can have a relationship with this young man, but do we understand the greater good that needs to be done? You know, so it just, it felt like a lot of that, like, you know, I had an older sister. We kept each other in check and, you know, even watching my three daughters and the way they keep each other in check, especially with relationships with boys, because they are not afraid to tell each other, you know. Is that in the right order, that relationship? Are you keeping it the way it should be? Is it good for you? Is it good for everybody else? So, you may be a great guy, but <laughs> how's it going to work out? That reminds me of what she was telling, uh, what she revealed in The Mandalorian to Din Djarin a little bit about her past, where she says, she says something to the effect of, I've, I've seen what attachments like this can do to the best of the Jedi. And so she may, you know, be a little bit leery of Sabine having such a close attachment to Ezra and is telling her, you know, that attachment can't interfere, like, yeah, it it can't interfere with, like, when the stakes are this high, when the, the galaxy is at stake, when we're talking about the lives of potentially billions or trillions of people are on the line. You know, you can't let your attachment to this one person cloud your judgment. Well, and and whether whether Sabine and Ezra's relationship is kind of a, a you know, a found sibling relationship, the way Ezra's hologram from earlier episodes implies, or whether Sabine is holding a torch for him, it, that's still an attachment that mm-hmm. can still cloud your, your judgment, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And all through Rebels, Ezra showed a very strong attachment to Sabine. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, to be honest, until that hologram in, in Ahsoka, I read that as a romantic attachment. Um, right, yeah. And so I I a little bit wonder if, yeah, if the, the you know, I love you like a brother loves a sister kind of thing is is, you know, is that a little bit of a retcon or is that Ezra fooling himself? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't need another Leia Luke kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. It's star Wars. (laughs) So wrong. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, Well, this, yeah, the, anyway, the, I, I, I think you're absolutely right that the, the Ahsoka Sabine relationship feels very much like an older sister, younger sister kind of uh, relationship. Especially when they go off on their mission together after Huyang says, you know, you do better when you're together. And they're like, okay, yeah. well, you know, it's like, it sounded <laughs> like two sisters right there yeah. when they were talking or as they said goodbye to him or whatever. Especially in that scene, I thought. Yeah. I love how Hu Yang kind of assumes that he's the real authority in the the ship. You know, well, he's, he is twenty five thousand years old, so he has yes. he has that he has that claim to authority, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fantastic. Um, and I mean, if I were to pick like an absolute winner for this episode, I think I would pick Hu Yang. Um, <laughs> he's awesome in this. Um, which which maybe brings us from like this tension between Ahsoka and, and Sabine to like the external uh conflict of the fights. And and this episode is just packed with fights. Um when I when I was thinking of how to summarize the episode, I was like, it's kind of just fighting from, from beginning to end. <laughs> um and the first blow is struck. Against Hu Yang. Right. It's Rack'em Sock'em Robots. It is. Exactly. <laughs> it was fantastic. I wanted I that not... robot's head to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, one of them pops off at least. Yeah. Um, I, man, I did not know that I needed uh, battling bots in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> but uh, like I'm thinking back and it's like, OK, we've had battle droids, but we haven't had like robot versus robot combat before. And oh, wait, no. Isn't there like a droid like pit fighting thing in the Han Solo movie? Very briefly. Isn't there oh, like gosh. a droid arena? Yes. Yeah. I could have sworn I remember that. But we That's see it very Lando's rarely. Robot goes nuts, right? She's like, right. "Go yeah, free, my yeah. friends! Go yeah, free!" Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's rare that we see. Usually, when you see droids fighting, there's battle droids shooting each other with blasters or whatnot. That this was like, yeah, like oh, rock and sock and robots. <laughs> is it was great. I actually expected Hu Yang. I I thought they were going to like he would be destroyed in these early scenes because they kept showing him outside and there's ominous music playing and you could tell he was being stalked. I'm like. Oh, are we going to lose Hu Yang right now? You know, like, but no, luckily he holds his own, which was great. I mean, he's been teaching lightsaber fighting for untold millennia, so <laughs> he must be a good fighter, especially against other droids. 
has to have done something right to keep 75% original parts. Parts. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But something else I noticed was like when we get into the other fights in this episode, Ahsoka is only fighting with one of her lightsabers. I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you think is going on with that? Because she definitely has the other one hanging from her from her belt. See, I thought when she did it against the Inquisitor, I was like, oh, I see. She only needs one lightsaber to take on this guy. You know, Mm -hmm. she's defeated Inquisitors before. But then when she does one saber against Balin, I was like, oh, okay, this is a deliberate choice that she's making. I don't know. What, What do you guys think? I still don't know what to make of that. I mean, the Inquisitor one saber was just that. She already, yeah. she had all the chess pieces played out and knew how this was going to end. It was like, yeah, you're going to do your twirly thing. I'm going to take my stance. Swoosh. Puff of smoke, though. What was that? I, I think I know. Expect- it oh, took- okay. It's got to be witchcraft, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> it took me about a day or two to realize what it was. I think he was uh, an a result of Night Sister Necromancy that we see in Jedi Fallen Order, the video game, uh, which I have not played, but I have seen played extensively because my, my brother has played it. And on Dathomir, uh, on the Dathomir level of that game, the Night Sisters can raise their minions from the dead. And when you kill them, they kind of explode into green smoke. So I'm like, oh, I see. And then I noticed, too, that Maroc's armor is kind of like rusted. It has, like, rust marks on it. I'm like, so was he a long-dead Inquisitor that Morgan or some other Night Sister had reanimated somehow? Yeah, and probably. so that when, you know, he dies, he... Because visually, it's very similar to when Night Sister zombies die in the video game. So I think that's well, what... Well, maybe he is the one that crashed in Rebels when they were mm. at that uh, Sith temple. And he kind of fell down. They probably he resurrected him. Pit, yeah. Yeah, he looks a Could lot be. like him. So somebody suggested, um, I forget if this was on Facebook or on on Discord, but somebody suggested that maybe this is the bottom half of Darth Maul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like his, he's Darth Maul's biological legs, but his upper half is like a robot or something. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um. I like, though, and I think this was Filoni again sprinkling in his Tolkien references into stuff. I like that when Marak dies, he shrieks like a Nazgul. He, he yes. shrieks like the Witch King when he dies. Oh, I was like, yeah. ah. I was like, that, in fact, that was my first reaction when I was watching the episode. I said out loud, was he a ringwraith or something? Because he has a <laughs> shriek. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Well, and and at that moment, you know, you've got at the same time, um, um, Shin and and Sabine are locked in battle, literally locked their lightsabers locked against each other. And they both turn their heads to see what happened. Mm -hmm. And even Shin looked surprised to my eyes anyway. I mean, her eyes are so amazingly wide. She always looks a little surprised. But yeah, (laughs) who said she looks feral? She definitely looks feral. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Like a rabid dog or something. <laughs> well, and that that rematch between Sabine and uh, Shin, I mean, which is very clearly, at least in Sabine's point of view, a rematch. Um, mm-hmm. That that was a fantastic battle. 
what did you guys think of the the dynamic there? I chose that a Force user should never underestimate a Mandalorian. Yes. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because, like, you know, she's like, you have no power. And then Sabine just uses the wrist rockets. And I was thinking back to that Rebels episode where Kanan is training her and Kanan says, you know, like history lesson, the Jedi won the war with Mandalore. And I'm like, yeah, Kanan, but the Mandalorians lasted as long as they did against the Jedi because they were pretty good at it. And of of all like the other factions in the Star Wars, non-force using factions, the Mandalorians are really, really good at fighting Jedi. And so I, yeah, I, I think that that it showed that that Shin was underestimating her a little bit. And Sabine was finally being herself. Get the gear on, be a Mando, and just fight like you know how. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I loved that line, you have no power, and then it's like, well, there are different kinds of power. Yeah. <laughs> let's, not, let's not be closed-minded here. <laughs> Open yourself to the wrist rockets. <laughs> <laughs> um, Going into that battle, you know, they had already faced off once. So now, you know, Sabine a- added in a whole different level of tactics to her way of doing things. Whereas Shin, you know, still had the typical, you know, she knew what Shin would do, but without, you know, not knowing all the weapons that Sabine had on, Sabine was able to take her by surprise. And, you know, add a different level to that. But this fight, though, well, because it was interesting that Huyang told them to stay together. So they're together. But the mm-hmm. first thing that Shin does is she runs away and separates them. So she's very much the uh, the, the divider, the Diablo in all of this mm-hmm. and separating them apart because she knows they would be stronger together. The only thing I wish is at the end of the fight, instead of Sabine saying, go get the map, it was like. We could take her down in two seconds and then get the map together. <laughs> right. So so maybe Sabine is falling into Shin's trap in that mm-hmm. way. No pride issue. <laughs> hmm. I'll tell you, am I the only one that, that watches these shows? I constantly keep saying, especially in the first one and then this one, no, what are you doing? Don't do that. <laughs> and it's just because of, you know, like you said, Yang said, you do better together. And then they're like, no, no, go ahead. And, you know, and then, and there's other scenes later too, but it's, and then like, especially the first one where, you know, Sabine takes the map after Ahsoka says, don't do that. Or the captain on that ship in the beginning. Oh yeah. I'll let those Jedi land on my ship. Oh, and I'll meet them. And per- you're like, what are you doing? Don't do that. You know? And it's, <laughs> And it's like there's Pride a lot of before a fall or Hugh Yang. <laughs> oh, be careful outside. I'll go back inside. No, stay out there. Help them. You know, it's like it was just those are the kind of things I keep finding myself in this whole series. Just it seems like especially the last episode in the first one, I'm just constantly going to yell out, "Don't do that! <laughs> Why are you doing that?" Because it always it seems like it turns out wrong or bad in the end. I mean, to be fair, there's a lot of that in you know, right from the beginning, (laughs) you know, from, from the original star Wars movie, there are plenty of like, why are you doing that dumb thing (laughs) (laughs) kind of moments? But it just occurred to me too, that there may be a a trust dynamic going on here because like Sabine, uh, Ahsoka knows that Sabine thinks that Ahsoka doesn't completely trust her judgment. Mm. And so when Sabine's like, 
go get the map. I got this. Ahsoka may be thinking to herself, if I ignore what she just said and go to help her, that might signal to Sabine, I don't trust you to take care of this. That's a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sabine, I mean, she doesn't defeat Shin, but she does got this in, in, in that she holds her own and disarms Shin. Because ultimately, Shin is just a distraction preventing them from getting to the map in time. Yep. So I think that's why she tells Ahsoka, no, just go, because if we both stay here, like, even if it takes, you know, every second is precious now, because we don't know how close they are to activating that thing. Yeah. And it turns out every second actually is precious, because it's kind of, you know, your ticking clock here. It's a Stargate activating. It's got the... (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, the chevrons locking in place is what I kept thinking of on that little display that they have. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, it's even set up in a ring like that. So yeah. it's, it's perfect. Yeah, maybe Filoni is just like seeing how many other franchises he can quote and, and just say, you know, okay, you're all canon in Star Wars now. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, so so Ahsoka does go and and um has another amazing battle with Balin. And I mean, as, as astounding as the, the lightsaber choreography in that was, I thought like the psychological warfare was even more dynamic and, and powerful. Um, like right, right from the beginning, you know, he, he brings up Anakin right at the start. You know, and, and she tries to shut him down. You know, I didn't come here to talk about my past. You know, he's relentless. To quote Slapshot, you hit her in her mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, talk about a Jedi mind trick. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There, there's just so much. I, I'd love to hear what... Um, I'll just throw out some some of the quotes that struck me. And I'd love to hear, like, what you think is going on in this dynamic you know he 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 starts with with uh like you know justifying what he's doing he says it's an unfortunate evil that speaks to a greater truth one must destroy in order to create thanks sauron was my (laughs) was my first thought i was like i've heard this song before (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and if you go on a deep dive into clone wars you have heard it before because in season three, when we get the overlords and the father, the sister, and the brother, mm-hmm. they actually talk about that and they say the line. I wrote it down because I was like, no way. Um, that they say, I think it was the father. Yeah, the overlord father says that, you know, they have to um, destroy to create. And his children do that every single day on in that world that they're in. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because... So then I'm going, wait a minute, is the power that Balin wants the power of the father? Does he want to get there? To more... And take over. And that's the thing. I'm I'm glad you brought this up, Catherine, because one of the theories I've been working with since I watched this episode is, are the Mortis gods the extra-galactic builders of the Henge? Is that why it has a connection to the world between worlds and Ahsoka could seemingly enter the world between worlds? I would worlds say absolutely yes. The, yeah. I think Rewatching they built the Henge. It, 
the hinge yeah. is there in the Clone Wars. They do an actual flyover of it. Oh, wait, really? S- oh, yeah. I was like going out on, of my on mind. Mortis? Yeah. So is you actually wow. see the exact same stone layout, but complete with the map, everything. I was just like, no way. Oh, my gosh. Everybody's got to know this. Please, now, when, people, and go watch this. <laughs> when, when they go to Mortis, they, they kind of go through this sort of space timey-wimey thing, right? So they're, they're sort of separate from the rest of the galaxy, too. Like, And that yep. made me wonder, are they actually an extragalactic race? Well, the father said he pulled them out of time and space to okay. protect the galaxy because it was too dangerous for them to stay in it. So he, you know, said um, he actually called himself an anchorite of the force. Huh. And so we're, mm-hmm. we're there to protect everyone. And I think Anakin says, so this is a sanctuary. And the father says, yes, and a prison. So I was like, whoa, mm. this is where all this could be going to. And if we get yeah. to see oh, the father and the son, I think we're still alive in live action. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> And Ahsoka stepping into the role of the daughter? Yeah. Oh, Correct me if I'm wrong. She has the daughter's life force within her. Yes. Somehow, yes, she right? Does. Yeah. Yeah. In order to save Ahsoka, who was killed by the son, the daughter who says, I am selfless, and that's all she does is give, she actually gave her life force to Ahsoka to live. So yeah, all this could come together in a crazy way. Which says, and we we are exactly like one half through this series. It may get even crazier and more insane as we go on. Like people thought that like seeing Thrawn in live action is what's going to blow our minds, but they might <laughs> have something like you know that that totally dwarfs his appearance in terms of like the metaphysical, you know, implications. Do you think Balin has any idea of Ahsoka's connection to the daughter? Yes. I do. I think that's the power he's after. Okay, so the next quote I wanted to throw out is, he says, your legacy, like your master's, is one of death and destruction. Which does not sound like he's connecting her with the daughter, who only gives. Um, But the destruction, and if you put Anakin in the role of the son, and Ahsoka in the role of the daughter, you get the cycle. With the death destruction, he didn't mention the life, but the cycle could happen. He was just saying so many things after I watched, rewatched those. It just all kept clicking back and forth. And that was a Filoni bit. So I'm like going, man. And there's a lot of Lord of the Rings references in there, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is, is full has Filoni written all over it because I he I've noticed in almost every Star Wars thing he handles he he puts Tolkien references in it. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. In in the when when Balin drives Ahsoka to the edge of the cliff, he says, "You know, it didn't need to come to this, but you know no other way." And and it seems to be like like from the beginning, he's implied that. We don't have to fight. There, there are. There is another way to manage this situation. Probably meaning, you know, join me and we will, you know, rule the two galaxies as father and daughter. Maybe, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like he, he's reluctant to do battle with her. But he's implying that Ahsoka only knows 
how to fight like you know her her only like like okay so in my D campaign i've got a friend who's playing a barbarian and she says she loves playing the barbarian because she knows that her answer to every question is smash um <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I'm thinking, you know, Balin is implying that Ahsoka's only answer to every question is smash. And I think that's a really interesting sort of accusation that he's hurling at her. Yeah, I'd say Have I even... stumped you all? <laughs> no, no. I was just like going, gosh, there's so many directions I can go with this. Because when they're, you know, when they're on Mortis and they're seeing all these visions of people, but it's not really them. So again, I'm still wondering at the end if that's really Anakin or just maybe the son trying mm. to fool Ahsoka again. Oh, we'll but, get there. We'll get yeah. there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. But there was a time in the Clone Wars episode where Ahsoka has a vision of her future self and her potential. And she's very powerful and very much like she is in the live action. And she said, the seeds of the dark side are planted in you by your master. And told her she has a wildness. And hmm. I almost wonder if that's what Balin is sensing in her. It's, he's definitely sensing something. Like, after, after he's uh, pushed Ahsoka off the cliff and she's gone, he turns to Sabine, who is there. Oh gosh, and and I want to talk about the the Ahsoka Sabine dynamic for another moment there, but but before I do that, Balin turns to her, and he closed his eyes for a moment, and then opened them and addressed her very directly, and he's you know Ezra Bridger is the only family you have left. Your family died on Mandalore because your master didn't trust you, and you know we talk about you know all the Force powers that are you know on display in. You know, um, anytime, anytime we have a force user, um, but he's really using some kind of insight into his opponent's minds. Um, like, you know, Your thoughts like betray what, you. Exactly. Like Vader says. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But but almost on steroids. I mean, he pulls the name out of her mind when you look at it. I mean, when in the prior uh, episode, I think it was. When they're trying, you know, she's trying to move the cup and she's saying, I just can't feel it. I can't feel the force. Then how can she block those kind of force attacks from like Balin if she can't, you know, control that force in the first place? Because it's only when like Luke gets stronger or some of these characters get stronger, they can start at least trying to block those kind of mind tricks or whatever, you know, those things. But she's, excess, you know, really vulnerable because she just saw Ahsoka go over the edge of the cliff. And, you know, she holding in her hand her only lifeline to Ezra. And so, I mean, I'm sure he could read some of that stuff just on her face. But then if he just has sure. to pick a name or two out of um, out of her mind, it probably wouldn't be that hard, especially if you're at that stage that Sabine is, because she told Ahsoka, I can make this decision. But then when she's holding it in the palm of her hand, she can't. Or she yeah. doesn't make that decision that she said that she could make. Because, and then. Balin talks her out of it. The most explicit Tolkien reference in the entire show. Destroy it. And of course, uh -huh. when I was watching it, I immediately went, Isildur! Yes! <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Because it's, it's very much that kind of like, you know, 
And and just like the one ring tempts you with the power to do good, she sees the this is this is how I find Ezra. This is how I bring him home. But right. of course, it'll just be her undoing. It certainly is in that moment. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do want to rewind just a bit, though, because as you know, in, in the fight between Ahsoka and Balin, Balin is pushing her to the edge and she sees Shin come back into the henge right and she says sabine and you realize or at least i what what read it to me was you know oh ahsoka has an attachment to sabine that she's not dealing with and not willing to let go of and, and you know just the violence with which she she throws shin against the rock there um and then when Sabine herself comes back into the henge, you know, it's the same line, Sabine, but there's such relief and, and care in, in her delivery of it. Um, before she switches back to master voice and says, destroy it. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like, we've talked about Sabine's attachment to Ezra. We haven't talked, I think about, Ahsoka's attachment to Sabine, um, which I think is very much a, a sisterly attachment, but it's it's everyone's got attachments here. We've got attachment mm -hmm. issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not letting. She wants Sabine to be fully herself, like she said, but at the same time, she doesn't feel like she can do it on her own. And at some point in time, I mean, one of the best things I ever did when I worked at um, an art studio. And I was um, a lead artist. So my job was to train other artists to paint like I was painting. Mm. Like we got to do mass production of these hand painted items. But then it got to the point where I knew I was going to step out of that role and I had to train my replacement. So it's like, who's going to take over what I'm doing next? And the hardest thing for me to do is to switch from I'm training you to do what I do to I need to train you to go beyond what I do to take over mm. my job. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're seeing that relationship right now. It's like, how do you let go and let her take over and be fully herself? Because she can't, if she's always burdened under, you don't think she can do it. That's a really good insight. Yeah. And that's, that's the, uh, that's the thing between every master and Padawan in star Wars, right? It's like how, how does the master let go, you know, and realize, it, you know, the, the, the fledgling has left the nest, kind of. And I think, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin had problems with that. Even when, Anakin, mm -hmm. even when Anakin's a knight, Obi-Wan's still a little bit like, uh. <laughs> It's definitely a recurring theme in Star Wars. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We were brothers, but I was always the older brother. <laughs> I still know better than you. <laughs> That's my my horrible Ewan McGregor impression. There was a higher ground moment when they first came across um, Shin and the Inquisitor. They're actually standing on a little mound, yeah. and yes. I was like, you know, they show them, and then what's Shin do? She steps off. I'm like, hey, she gave up the high ground. A <laughs> uh, classic mistake. All right. Before we get to the part we all want to talk about, mm -hmm. um, let's shift to 
the real adult in the room, Hera, who has this great scene telling the high or yeah, the new Republic uh, representative exactly what she thinks. <laughs> um, I, I thought, you know, that that scene where she is heading off and he's like, you can't leave without authorization. And she's like, watch me. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. And like, you'll figure it out. I'm like, and that dude, he he's like, he appeared before, right? He's clearly like her, her aide de camp. Cause he's yeah. just like a Lieutenant. And she basically gives him like the classic aide de camp job. Okay. You figure it out. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm going to create this big problem. You, you clean it up, you know? Yep. I love how she left him just standing there muttering, you know, think of something, think of something, think of something. <laughs> I loved, I loved when he tried to stop her. She turns to Jason and Chopper and, and sends them off and says, take care of him or, or keep an eye on him or something like that. And you're not sure which one she's talking to. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought she was talking to Chopper, but she may have been talking to Jason. Well, you know, Chopper thought that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Jason, Jason has that great line of dialogue, you know, it's like, how come you get to disobey orders and I don't? <laughs> it's like when you're a general, it's like not just when you're grown up, you got to be a general. And, and I want to give a little shout out to, uh, Alex on our discord channel who pointed out that if you watch really closely, Harris got a little photo of, of Kanan on the dashboard of her car. Um, <laughs> I paused just to look at it so I could be like, yay, Kanan. <laughs> yeah. For those who are predicting Kanan would appear, here he is. Um, <laughs> In a photograph. Honestly, I, I mean, I, I love Kanan's character. He's he's one of my favorite characters in Rebels, but I I kind of agree with those who say it would a little bit cheapen his mm -hmm. sacrifice to have him reappear. Oh yeah, yeah. Although I couldn't have been the only one who was like thinking when in I think it was it wasn't in this episode, it was the episode before where like Jason expresses the desire to be a Jedi and I'm like, Oh, father, mm -hmm. powerful Jedi was he. <laughs> powerful Jedi, like, just like yes, yes, indeed. Oh man, and and then of course we see you know Hera leading leading the charge to come in and clean up the mess that Ahsoka and and, and Sabine have been making. Um, oh, and I predicted it. That that character showed up, the X wing yes. pilot. Yes, oh, I can gosh, never remember his name. I'm sorry. It out last yeah. time. Oh, gosh, I've got it yes. here. Carson, yes. Carson, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yay, I, I hoped he would show up in this series, and I was right. Well, question I was wondering about Carson is, you know, at the end of Mandalorian, he, you know, asked him to join. And with the timeline, we know when he's asking the Mandalorian to help out, you know, if he wanted to, at that last scene in season three, or, or near the end there. And I was wondering, has he been through this eye of scion stuff already and he knows weird stuff is happening or is he just is that before this whole thing happened because hmm. you know he said you know because he was trying to because you know he's on the other side of the universe with the or the galaxy with the what's going on there the timeline is not entirely clear yeah 
because at the time we're still thinking that Morgan is in prison, but did she escape within that period of time? Because like I said, that's on another side of the galaxy and it's past not our story, but I was just kind of curious about that. If just wondering about the timeline. Well, and we, we saw him in the bar with Zeb right. as well. Right. And a lot of people are asking where's Zeb in this mm-hmm. series. I mean, it's, it's so much a rebel season five, but, and we know they've got, you know, the, the CG models for Zeb and, mm-hmm. and so on. Where's Zeb? I think we will see him soon because we we're at that point in the show where the heroes have lost. The bad guys have the upper hand. The team is disarray. And in these kind of stories, usually they go about and recruit new members to the team so that they can regroup. And so I think we may see Zeb and some other characters pretty soon. Maybe next episode, the one after that. I hope so anyway. That Yeah. I, I mean, Zeb is such a great character. and, and, and it, Yeah, it would be great. We've already seen him in a live action series. So, yeah. Talk about somebody whose first instinct is smash. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, they try to block Morgan and that hyperspace jump. So, so what do you, I guess like on a, on a techie level, there's the question of like, why weren't they completely destroyed? Like the Holdo maneuver did. Mm, I thought of that. Yeah. And on the other hand, like just on a plot level, more just like the, the, the spectacle of that jump was fantastic. The way I don't know the way they really emphasize that this is not just your normal hyperspace jump. Well, on the techie level, I was going right back to my little fun uh, hobby of aviation. For a while, my husband Mm -hmm. and I owned an airplane, and we actually went to an air show once where they had a small home-built plane with a circular wing, Mm -hmm. and it was the coolest thing ever. But having wings on a plane, you get a lot of drag off the wingtips. Mm-hmm. So it was theorized early on, because there's very old planes that actually have oval wings or circular wings, that if you just bring the tips together, you're going to reduce that drag and get a lot more jump and speed also. And if anyone's done the straw with the two hoops on it and thrown it through the air, mm-hmm. you know, you get that nice little, uh, what's the name of the effect? I always forget the name. It starts with a B. Look it up, people. <laughs> but, and, uh, and before anyone in the comments is like, oh, well, there's no drag in space. Well, I remember in, in the old Legends novels, they explained that in the Star Wars universe, there actually is drag in space. And that's why the spaceship, there's like this ether substance that acts kind mm-hmm. of like air. And that's why the spaceships move the way they do and can do these maneuvers. Yeah. And, stuff. and you got to see it when they made the jump. You mm-hmm. saw that great effect of the swirl mm-hmm. and the ships getting tossed around in it. And yeah, it was just, it was perfect. And it made sense to have this ring be the one thing that can do this hyper jump from one galaxy to another. So I just kind of was like, okay, I get the aerodynamics of that. I'll buy it. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining the reason it didn't completely destroy the, the Phoenix squadron ships is because essentially they were kind of clustered in the middle where the ship wasn't. So it it kind of jumped around them. And uh, like you said, they were caught in its wake rather than being wiped out 
like uh like the holdo maneuver did but yeah that's why but saying. i am i am i'm open to correction on this kind of foreshadows the jump in the sequel well that's what i was thinking it's like you know with the big opening it's not like a super star destroyer where you just would slam right into it or something it's there is at least a little chance that they could go around it but or through it i guess would be the better thing but but yeah that was that was one of those other moments of what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Yeah. <laughs> With how big that ship or the sign, you know, the ring was. It's just So our our current big bad, uh, Morgan, has got everything she's wanted. She's on her way to that other galaxy to presumably to Thrawn. But then we get that amazing sort of uh tracking shot over the henge and the sea that just almost seamlessly dissolves into the world between worlds. Take oh, one gosh. step back, though. Take one step back to Hu Yang calling out for Ahsoka and Sabine. Yeah. Notice the perspective that we got to see that from. Oh, up in, the trees. Trees. up in the trees. Yes. More eye. Like, a, yeah. I swear. It was like, I'm watching it. I was like, I don't know if it's just my imagination, but like the music almost had that like haunting sound of an owl in it. <laughs> oh, you're like, right. Oh. And then, and then yeah. the fact that then we go from that to a flyover view of the henge. Mm, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, it's almost as if Mora is looking for Ahsoka. That's cool. <laughs> I want to see one <laughs> well of those. Spotted. Very cool. <laughs> So, so this kind of raises the question, like the first question I have about this is like, how'd she get there? Cause in, in, you know, what little we've seen of the world between worlds, there's a portal, but we also know that that portal can kind of appear all sorts of places because Ezra was able to look through a portal into that Sith temple and pull Ahsoka out earlier so the henge does look like a portal yeah Yeah. i think it has to be connected to the henge yeah and it's got to be connected to um to mortis it's got to be connected to the father and the daughter i mean just seeing how similar those are and that you get the exact same flyover view it's like there's got to be a connection to this and that you know that she's pulled in like that the temple from the world between worlds arc has iconography of the Mortis characters on it, right? Yes. So they're yes. connected yep. to the world between worlds in some fashion. So the the threads are 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 coming together, I think, of these different things. The world between worlds, Mortis, you know, Ahsoka, you know, it yeah. It was interesting. It it because I did not suspect how heavily the world between worlds would play in this series. I'm like, oh, we might see it, but I, I am, I'm very gratified because I didn't expect it. How central I think it's going to be to the story because it just creates a lot more unknowns. And to me, unknowns are fun because we get to <laughs> speculate about them. I mean, it's literally the center of the series. It's the end of the fourth episode. Yep. All right, let's 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 talk about the encounter. She stands up. Here's the voice. What is going on in your minds? Besides shouting, what just happened? <laughs> well, yeah, to me, it was like when, when they played the Vader theme at the end, I was like, what was that? I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, <laughs> because I'm like, oh, it's a, oh, and 
before I forget, because I, I need to I need to say that was after I calmed down after the episode <laughs> and I thought about seeing Hayden Christensen again as Anakin Skywalker. The first thing that came to my mind was Annie, me so so smiling to see you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm that really kind well of Star Wars. Little Annie has grown so large. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it, it's good to see him again as Anakin Skywalker. I mean, everything with everything Filoni's done, it it really has increased my enjoyment of the the prequels a lot mm-hmm. because a lot of the connective tissue and unanswered questions that I felt even when I was younger that I felt was missing from the prequels, a lot of those things, his, his star Wars content has resolved a lot of those issues for me. And mm-hmm. so I can appreciate the prequels a lot more, even some of their, their sillier aspects, but yeah, it was, it, it's just good to see Hayden again as maybe as Anakin Skywalker. We're not sure yet. You know, like what is, even what is with going that on? hyper smooth, uh, de-aging they did. Yeah. I wish they hadn't done that. <laughs> Well, that's what made me suspicious of him. Mm. I don't think it's fully Annie. Yeah. And people have pointed out that the lightsaber may not be mm-hmm. Anakin's, that it's Vader's. And it's difficult to see because it's very blurred. But there's an argument to be made there that appearances are deceiving. <laughs> I mean, the the franchise has, has received criticism on their, on their de-aging... Um, you know, from from when Luke first appeared in The Mandalorian. Uh, well, and I mean, from when Leia appeared in, in uh, Rogue One and Tarkin as well. I mean, it's it's you would think they would know this is something everybody's going to be looking at. And they deliberately didn't de-age Hayden Christensen for the flashback scenes in Obi-Wan. And so I wonder if like the hyper smoothness of it isn't deliberate. To, just as you say, Catherine, to, to let us know appearances may be deceiving. Well, especially, you know, as you know, was just mentioned, though, too, that was, you're thinking, oh, this is a happy moment. And then the Vader theme, when it goes dark, is like, maybe it's not so happy, you know, yeah. and it's just, and it really left a foreboding kind of feeling of what's going on, you know, what's going to happen in the next episode. Yes, because that, that was a big, such a small little scene, but such a, big change right there with just those you know little theme music at the very end there yeah that was 10 seconds of a lot (laughs) yeah (laughs) i interpreted it as okay the last time uh, when i was interpreting it as that's definitely anakin i was thinking well the last time she saw him he was vader and so that Mm -hmm. they've put the kind of that like you know there's a lot of baggage here he, the last time they were together, he tried to kill her. And that's why I'm, I am eventually hoping, hoping that we do get her with the spirit of Anakin in some way to, because I think it's going to be really interesting to have them work out those, because Luke must have told her she was with Luke Skywalker in the book of Boba mm-hmm. Fett. And I feel like she must know that Luke was able to reach him in a way she was not. And and also that she still has to process her own feelings of guilt for not being there when when he turned. And so, yeah, it's just like I'm, I'm really looking forward to some kind of Anakin Ahsoka interaction in this series. It's something I really want, whether this is 
it or whether it's a deception, I, I haven't made up my mind yet. But that is something I hope that they include in some in some form, because their relationship is just it's it's become so central to a lot of Star Wars fans. And just knowing that she did talk to Luke, please, Luke, you got to start telling people that in the end he was good. Yes. He turned back. You know, I mean, he was yeah. redeemed, you know, because I feel like why they didn't tell Ben Solo, I don't know. You know, he had his Vader fetish, you know, hey, sorry, Grandpa was okay in the end. He wasn't a bad guy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing I I want to see happen in this, is that she need, she should have learned from Luke that he was redeemed so that there can be redemption for their relationship somehow yes if this is anakin we don't know but that's the kind of thing i would love to see happen is that there is some full circle in this one of the uh legends books actually had um leia accidentally fly through the spot where um the second death star had exploded she had this experience of you know feeling the rage of the dead, not really dead anymore, Sidious, but also was able to have a vision of her father and had a redemption forgiveness moment where she like got to see him as Anakin, not as Darth Vader. So I wish that mm. kind of thing would happen with Ahsoka, have a closed circle in that. Lots and lots of possibilities. I mean... I think that the, these are exactly the sort of questions that this episode is trying to raise with leaving us on this cliffhanger. I mean, this is not the Anakin who appeared in Return of the Jedi as a Force ghost. He's he's wearing his Clone Wars sort of getup. What's going on? I don't know. I and that's what makes it great. I don't know. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what makes me excited. I have no clue what's going on. I'm like. Please show me more of this. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that that's the anticipation for next week's episode. Mm -hmm. um, so which will, you know, drop the day that this podcast drops, of course. So or yeah. So when you're listening, you won't have to wait too long. Right. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone else pick up the, the feeling of um, of death coming upon Balin? And I don't know if it's so much because. We know that, you know, Ray Stevens, the actor, died. But there's so many times where he says, I have to serve the greater good in a way where it seems like he knows he's going mm. to have to die. Mm -hmm. And just there's just like this certain darkness about him. And the fact that even in the scene where he, you know, puts his lightsaber away and confronts Sabine, behind him is this storm cloud coming. And it just kind of was like... Does he does he know he's going to be giving up his life for whatever this greater good is that he thinks he has to serve? I don't know. It just had kind of an eeriness to it. I don't know if it was just because we've lost the actor or, or maybe that's part of the story. We'll find out. And just like bouncing off that, it reminds me of another interesting wrinkle to his character is when Morgan tells him to have faith. And he says, faith, I lost that a long time ago. And I'm like, faith in what? What are we talking about? You know? Yeah. And then later when, when they're activating the henge again, he says witchcraft, which is interesting mm -hmm. because in an earlier episode when he's talking about Morgan to Shin, he says something like there's no such thing as witchcraft. And so we've got this, 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 
he's a conflicted character in many ways, and that makes him interesting. Well, and yeah. also, and you know, and Morgan asked him. I think I think it was her that before the confrontations happen, you know, she says, "Is that fear in your voice?" And he goes, "No, experience." Mm. And two, it's like as you look forward to the future, you know, maybe he, you know, he's seen he's seen a lot, especially as he talks about Anakin and everything. And then as you're talking about the future, you know, does he see him giving his life to this? You know, he's had a lot of experience, so maybe. You know, he knows there's initially I was thinking he was thinking that, well, Ahsoka, you know, be relentless, like he said, I think, in the past and knowing that there will be a confrontation. But maybe there's also more to it than just since he does seem like to be a very pensive person, too. He was like, no, I just have experience and all this and I'm going, you know, and maybe he is thinking more about his, you know, what he's seen other Jedi have to go through for maybe what they've done or or Anakin or whoever. And maybe he's, he's a master of the, sorry, no, he, he's ahead. a master of the one word reply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any, any final thoughts on this episode? Um, here we are at the middle. As you say, things have gotten dire for all of our heroes. Uh, well, one thing I was wondering is like, we we're talking about a certain point of view. You know, he says to, to Sabine, Phelan, uh, give you my, he'll give you he was going to give her his word that no harm will come to you and you will be mm-hmm. reunited with your friend and, you know, do it for Ezra before, you know, before she handed the map back to him. And then my, my thought is, is, well, does that mean Ezra is alive? She gets reunited and then they're in a prison together, you know, or something. It's like, you might be <laughs> reunited, but it, he didn't say, or does she find out Ezra's gone? At least she gets closure. So, you know, it's like, there's something it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, this is terrific. Let's go home together and whatever. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I was kind of wondering more about, like a different point of view. It's like it's the truth that she could be reunited with them, but it could be in bad or, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I agree. That kind yeah. of stuff. And there's some cute little creatures we got to talk about. Well, wait, which creatures are those? I don't know. What do you think, Thomas? I think you brought this up. Oh, li- oh so you were saying little as a joke. Yeah, obviously the... The, yeah, the it's a joke. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely, uh, I definitely think as as soon as as Balin destroys the map and he's like, no one's following us. I'm like, oh come on, they can hitch a ride on the Pergil. Was like my first thought. Now they need mm-hmm. a way to communicate with the Pergil, and I forget who I've I've seen several people make this claim that perhaps it will be Jason who is able to communicate mm-hmm. with the Pergil. You know, being probably force sensitive because of his his dad and i know not every jedi has the talk to animals ability although i'm it it are the purple truly animals they they may actually be sapient i don't know if that's been confirmed or not but i definitely think that they will communicate with the purgles in some way because why else are they on Cetos? because they mention it's part of their migration path to get to this peridia location so I definitely think that they will they will figure out some way to use the Purgils to make the jump and will end up in the other galaxy. Well, Jason is the one who gets a bad feeling. Right. That's yeah, right. bad feeling. Yeah. I also think that Sabine will find Ezra, but it won't be in a way that she expects. I wonder if Ezra, if the tables were turned when they got to the other galaxy and Ezra is imprisoned by Thrawn in, in some way. 
or is is being utilized by Thrawn. Or working with Thrawn. Mm. A lot have speculated that, yeah. yeah. Willingly. You never know. Thrawn might not be what we think he is. He, yeah, especially in canon, he's not what a lot of people think. His motives are very complex. He's not the, the simple kind of imperial loyalist that he was in Legends. They've really developed his, his character a lot. All right. Well, any other final thoughts, uh, Catherine? No, I think I got all my fun things in. Please bring back the uh, the Mortis overlords. <laughs> <laughs> I, for one, welcome our Mortis overlords. <laughs> I don't know, the beard you're no. sporting, you kind of look like the father there. You know, you could audition. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Yeah, I, I don't know if I fit the role, but I, I appreciate the respect for the beard. Um, yeah. Well, those are our thoughts. We would love to hear what you have to say about Ahsoka and about all things Star Wars. Please join the conversation on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. We're on the app formerly known as Twitter at SQPN. And you can get an invite to our Discord server at sqpn.com slash Discord. Or, you know, drop us an email at starwars at sqpn.com. We want to take a moment to thank our generous patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, including Charbel B, Jeff G, Francis S, Jamie N, and Michael L. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows at StarQuest Media. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show was brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrylaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E law.com. Licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. Be sure to, sub- to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts. We're on all the major sites, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. We've even got an SQPN YouTube channel. Naturally, you'll find all the episodes of Secrets of Star Wars on our website, sqpn.com slash Wars. That's also where you can discover all the other shows and activities of StarQuest Media. We even have merch. It's great. Um, So, until next time, when we'll come back and discuss Episode 5 of Ahsoka, uh, Thomas, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Thank you, Robert, and may the Force be with you. Catherine, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. See you later, Sky Guy. (laughs) (laughs) And John... It's great to have you part of the conversation. Thanks. I enjoyed it again. Once again, I have been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth.